names matter to us, don't they? Uh, when someone remembers our name, uh, we feel like they know us. Uh, when someone gets our name wrong, we might feel a little bit offended. And when someone makes fun of our name, that can be taken as an insult. Our names matter to us. In fact, our names represent us. They're more than just a useful identifying tool. They, they come to stand for our reputation. Uh, and so when Proverbs chapter 22 verse 1 says that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, we know it's not talking about just having a nice-sounding label. It's talking about our reputation of our character. Our names matter to us because they stand for us. God's name stands for Him. Uh, we saw last week that we're not to use idols or images to worship Him because they cannot stand for Him. But God's name does. And so this third commandment, which we're looking at this week, will remind us how weighty that is and how seriously God takes it. Before God rescued his people from Egypt, he appeared to Moses in a burning bush to call him as his prophets. And in Exodus 3 verse 14, when Moses asked for God's name, God said to him, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now in Hebrew, I am is spelt Y-H-W-H. -H, uh, and so it's probably pronounced Yahweh. Though whenever the Jews later on would read it in the scriptures, they would say Adonai, which means my Lord. And so when the New Testament was translated into Greek before the time of Christ, the Greek word for Lord was used uh, whenever God's name Yahweh was written. And that gets carried across into our English Bibles. And so in the Old Testament, where Yahweh is there, our Bible translators use the word Lord in capitals. Capital O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Right? When it's just small L-O-R-D, sorry, capital L and then small O-R-D, right? that's just the normal word for Lord, like Master. Uh, but if you see the capitals, capital L-O-R-D, that is Yahweh, that is I am, uh, and that is his name. And so God continues to speak to Moses in 3.15. He says, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, and it's Yahweh, I am, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And then he goes on to say that he's seen the affliction of his people who were slaves in Egypt and he promises to rescue them. Right? Because God's name, Yahweh, is linked to his faithfulness to his promise to save his people. After God rescued his people from Egypt, he gave them the Ten Commandments, a whole lot of other laws, and then Israel rebelled against him by worshipping the golden calf. We saw that last time. And then Moses pleaded with him not to wipe them out. He didn't. And God, and Moses asked God to show him his glory. And in Exodus 34 verse 6 it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children, the third and fourth generation. Right? God is the one who gives meaning to his own name. And when God proclaims his name, he connects it to his mercy, his grace, his patience, his steadfast love and faithfulness, and his justice. And he would show all those attributes throughout Israel's history, and ultimately in Jesus Christ and his gospel. And in fact, in Jesus, we will truly see and know who Yahweh is, as he is. Because at the cross, we will see the perfect expression of God's mercy, grace, patience, steadfast love, faithfulness, and justice, all at the same time. Even in the Old Testament, God's name will be connected with the things or people who point forward to Jesus. Uh, and so in Exodus 23, when God speaks about the angel or messenger he would give them, he said, pay careful attention to him because my name is in him. And that angel of the Lord, both a messenger of God and uh, both God and a messenger of God points forward to Jesus who is both God and a messenger of God. Uh, later on in Israel's history, when David came against Goliath, he came against him in the name of the Lord. And David points forward to Jesus who is God's promised king who rescues and rules his people. Comes in the name of the Lord. That the temple was the house for the name of the Lord. Temple points forward to Jesus. It's the place where we meet him. The prophet spoke in the name of the Lord. The prophets point forward to Jesus, who not only brings us the word of God, but is the word of God himself. God's name in the Old Testament speaks of his identity and character and anticipates his perfect revelation in his son. When you think back the last few weeks, you remember the first commandment? is that Yahweh was to be Israel's only God. But Jesus was included in the identity of this one true God. The second commandment was that not to make images in order to worship him. But we saw that Jesus is the true image of God, the only one who reveals him without distorting him. And so worship is due to Jesus. And when we come to the third commandment, which forbids the misuse of God's name, we also expect to see how it relates to us in and through Jesus. And, and we will. But first, let's understand this commandment in its Old Testament context for Israel. The commandment is given, as I said, in Exodus 20, verse 7. Here's what it says. You shall not take the name of the Lord, or Yahweh, your God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The word take there means to bear or to carry or to use. And the word vain there means empty or worthless or valueless. And so God told Israel not to bear or carry or use his name in such a way as to degrade it, to make it empty. And he warned them, the Lord will not hold him guiltless, or that is the Lord will not leave him unpunished, who takes his name in vain. Misusing anyone's name, is, of course, is very serious. But God is so infinitely good. He is so infinitely great. He is so totally awesome. He is so absolutely holy. That to degrade his holy name, that is a horrendous offense. And the holy God, who will by no means clear the guilty, will not and cannot leave that unpunished. He will not hold him guiltless 
who takes his name in vain. Now, how might the Israelites do that? How might they take God's name in vain? Let me give you five ways. First of all, in the Lord's self, we see God forbidding them to use his name to swear false oaths. Right? For swearing in God's name something that's not true, well, that's misusing God's name and inviting God's judgment. Or if they made a vow in God's name and they didn't keep it, that'll be taking his name in vain. And so God says in Leviticus 19.12, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord, of your God. I am the Lord. Secondly, they could be irreverent with God's name. Uh, we saw in our Old Testament reading about the man who blasphemed God's name and cursed him during a fight. And God said he should be put to death. God is holy and his name should be used with great reverence. Cursing him was a capital offense. Thirdly, there was bringing disgrace to God's name by their actions. Our God says to Israel in Leviticus 18.21, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Molech was a pagan god whom people offered child sacrifice to. And if people from Israel did that, they would not only be breaking the commandment not to worship other gods, to have other gods before him, they would not only be breaking the commandment against murder, they would also be breaking this commandment. For they would be bringing bring shame to the name of Yahweh their God because they are meant to be his people. And they are doing this wicked thing. When God's people sin, it brings disgrace to his name. Fourthly, a priest could profane God's name by violating his holiness. Particularly by approaching holy things when he is unclean. Our God says to Moses in Leviticus 22 verse 2 and 3, Speak to Aaron and his son so they abstain from the holy things, so they don't profane my name. I am the Lord. Say to them, if any one of you approaches the holy things while he has an uncleanness, that person shall be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. Finally, a prophet could use God's name presumptuously by falsely claiming to speak for him. Again, this misuse of God's name is very serious. And so God warns in Deuteronomy 18.20, the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak shall die. To prophesy falsely, to misrepresent God, to speak lies in his name, that is to take his name in vain. So Israel's given God's name and told not to take it lightly. They swore their oaths in the name of the Lord. They were blessed in his name. They were known as his people. God's name and reputation were tied up with them. But we all know what happened. Israel kept sinning against the Lord. They failed to honor his name. They brought disgrace to his name by their actions. Uh, for example, in Amos 2.7, they oppressed the poor and were engaged in sexual immorality so that God's holy name was profaned. In Ezekiel 43.8, they defied God's holy name by their abominations, that is, their idolatry. And their prophets in Jeremiah 23.25 prophesied lies in God's name. God was so patient with them, calling them to repentance over and over again. 
But when they persisted in sin, they were finally sent into exile from the promised land. But here was the problem. The exile itself brought disgrace to God's name. In Ezekiel 36.20, we read that when the other nations look at them, they say, these are the people of the Lord. Yet they had to go out from this land. And so God's name, in verse 21, was profaned among the nations to whom they came. It was as if the gods of the nations are more powerful than Yahweh. So what would God do? Well, if you read on Ezekiel, he says, He will act not for their sake, but for the sake of his name. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, and the nations will know that I am the Lord. How will you do it? When you read on, it says he will do it by rescuing his people. He will save his people from the exile. He will wash them clean on the inside. He will give them his spirit. He will bring them back to the land. And in doing so, he will vindicate his great name. In other words, he will hallow it. He will make it holy. When Jesus came, he, he taught his disciples to pray to the Father, hallowed be thy name. He wanted them to pray for the day when, when God would make his name holy when he would rid the disgrace brought to his name by the sin of his people. The day when God would restore his people, not just from the exile from the promised land, even from the even bigger exile, or the exile from the garden, to which the, the exile from the land was just a pointer. The day when God's name would not only be vindicated among the nations, but through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known to the powers and authorities in the heavenly places. The day when Ezekiel said God would wash his people clean on the inside and give them his spirit. And so God's people will be born of water and the spirit and enter the kingdom of God. God answered that prayer in the work of his son. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. So that everyone who believes in his name is washed clean on the inside, is given the Spirit. God's name is indeed being hallowed through the work of Jesus. But there is more. The name Jesus himself means Yahweh saves. And he really is Yahweh come to save his people. Over and over again, Jesus took the, the term I am and applied it to himself. Unless you believe I am, he said in John 8, 24, you will die in your sins. And so in the New Testament, the name of Jesus takes over the, the role of Yahweh's name in the Old Testament. The apostles preached and healed in the name of Jesus. They baptized in the name of Jesus. They'll be hated for Jesus' name. God, people assemble in the name of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. We are saved by believing in the name of Jesus. The apostle John says in John 20 verse 31, the signs written in his book are written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. Back in the Old Testament, the prophet Joel prophesied that day would come when everyone who called upon the name of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, would be saved. But in Romans 10.13, the Apostle Paul references this quote from Joel. 
And he's talking about the name of Jesus. Because just before that, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he quotes Joel. The apostles proclaimed in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven and on earth by which we may be saved. In the New Testament, the name of Jesus shares the function of the name of Yahweh in the Old. And so we are to honor that name. In fact, Colossians 3.17 says that whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Brothers and sisters, as Christians we bear the name of Christ Jesus. Like Israel of old, God has revealed himself to us. But he's done so in a much greater way. Jesus said to his father in John 17, 6, I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. We have seen the glory of God in Jesus. At the cross, we see God's steadfast love and faithfulness in saving and forgiving sinners. We also see his perfect justice in not leaving sin unpunished. We have the perfect revelation in God's Son. And so we of all people must obey this command not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. How might we take his name in vain? Well, to start with, remember the five ways that command applied to Israel? There are similar ways in which they apply to us. Firstly, honoring God's name starts with, but goes beyond, keeping our oaths. Now, Jesus taught us that we shouldn't have to make oaths at all, because our yes should be yes and our no should be no. We should be honest without having to swear. We bear God's name all the time. However, there are other parts of Scripture which show that there are times where it's permissible. What Jesus is saying is that it shouldn't be necessary. But when vows are taken, they are still serious. If you get married at St. Mary's, one of the things you will say, if you're the bridegroom, some of you said this, is this. I so-and-so take you so-and-so to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love, cherish, and honor, till death do us part according to God's holy law. And this is my solemn vow. And if you're the bride, you make the reciprocal vow. And one of the things the minister says to you beforehand is this. The vows you are about to take are made in the name of God, who is the judge of all and knows all the secrets of our hearts. Can't get more serious than that. Keep your vows. Secondly, like Israel of old, we must not be irreverent with God's name. In the West, the name of Jesus is often used as a swear word. Don't let that happen among us. Even here, people sometimes say, Oh my God, when surprised. Or use, or use OMG in WhatsApp messages. 
please think of some other expression. Sometimes we can get so familiar with the things of God that we, we take it lightly. You know, we can laugh at ourselves, lah. There are things that Christians do, and you think about it, it can be very funny. But there's a line when it comes to laughing at the things of God. God is holy. He is not to be joked about. I cringe when I hear people use the word hallelujah as a joke. Because they don't realize that the word Yah in hallelujah is Yahweh. Hallelujah means praise Yahweh. Be in awe of God's name, friends. Don't take it lightly. Blasphemy, cursing or speaking bad of God's name, that is still as serious as ever because God is as holy as ever. In the book of Revelation, the evil beast blasphemes God's name. It's given freedom for a limited time, but it is eventually thrown into the lake of fire. Do not be irreverent with God's name. God is holy. Thirdly, we who bear the name of Christ must seek to live in a way that brings honor and not disgrace to him by our actions. In 1 Timothy 6 verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Let all who are under the yoke, under a yoke as bondservant, regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. You see, we who bear God's name must not act in ways that bring it into disrepute. I hope that the people in your workplace know that you are a Christian. People in your school people in your college. Otherwise, you won't have opportunities to share your faith with them when the right time comes. But when you go to work or school or college tomorrow, you go bearing the name of Christ. You are a Christian. Do not bring that name into disrepute by being rude or lazy or dishonest. Likewise in the church. In 2 Timothy 2, there are people in church who claim that the resurrection already happened and therefore presumably claim that whatever we do in the body is okay. But sexual immorality is not okay. And so Paul says in verse 19, Let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. You cannot take on the name of Christian and persist in sexual immorality. Bring the name of Jesus into disrepute. And when church leaders, some of whom are actually false believers, when they sin in terrible ways and make it worse by inappropriately trying to cover it up, as we've seen in the media, they bring disgrace to God's name. If you and I bear the name of Christ, we owe it to Him to live His way. Fourthly, we must never come to God presumptuously. Remember how the priests could not touch the holy things when they were unclean? and Let us never presume to come to God trusting in our own righteousness. It is like filthy rags. We come only by His mercy. 
But having been washed clean by the blood of Christ, we can approach God with confidence in, with, and through Jesus. To approach God in any other way is to profane the holiness of his name. Our fifthly, we must beware of those who falsely claim to speak for God. We must be careful not to speak in the name of Jesus things that he didn't speak. We must be careful not to promise for Jesus things that he doesn't promise. I've seen times and preachers who, in their eagerness to encourage those who need healing, these speakers say that Jesus has promised to heal you. If only you believe. But then if the healing doesn't happen, it appears as if Jesus is not faithful or Jesus is not powerful, when actually it was the preacher who was misusing his name. And that brings unintended disgrace on the name of Jesus. Unintended, but grave. The bishops of the Church of England recently proposed to allow the blessings of couples following their gay marriage. If they do this, the Church of England ministers will use God's name to promote something that he clearly forbids. They will bless the couple in God's name as they blatantly celebrate their sin against him. And that is not only a violation of God's sexual ethics, it's taking God's name in vain. And the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In the Old Testament, a prophet who spoke falsely in the name of the Lord would be executed. The New Testament equivalent is being put out of the church until they repent. And so in 1 Timothy 1.20, Paul puts the false teachers, Hymenaeus and Alexander, out of the church, handing them over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Beware of those who wrongly speak for God. Test everything by his word. But finally, we're not just to avoid the negative. As God's chosen, forgiven, redeemed people, we have a positive purpose. We are here to glorify God's name. The Apostle Paul was aware of this. He, he said in Romans 1.5 that he received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name among the nations. That is, God's name is glorified when people trust in Jesus and obey him. And so Paul proclaimed the gospel. And he went out and did that. In 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12, he and his friends pray for the Thessalonians. And he says, to this end, we always pray for you that God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. So the name of Jesus is glorified when his people show his character and do good works, which God empowers them to do. Remember how Jesus taught his disciples to pray to the Father, Hallowed be thy name. Well, that prayer is still being prayed and still being answered today as God's people are gathered from the nations. 
as we come to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ, as we come to believe in his mercy, grace, patience, steadfast love, faithfulness and justice that he shows us at the cross, as we come to appreciate and worship him for who he really is, his name is hallowed. As we are changed into his image, as our characters more and more reflect his love, as we serve him faithfully in the world, his name is glorified. And on that final day, when his work is complete, when his people are restored, not just to the land, but to the true inheritance, the new creation, and we share in his eternal joy, his name will be truly glorified. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's bow our heads. Before we pray, let's just take a few moments to examine ourselves in light of God's word. Let us repent of our sins and be ever grateful for the death of Jesus who died that we might be forgiven. Father, we thank you that you have made us your people and given us your name. Thank you for saving us for the sake of that name. Help us, we pray, to be aware of the holiness of your name, never to take it lightly. Please make us worthy of your calling, And please fulfill our every resolve for good and every work of faith by your power. So that by your grace, the name of Jesus may be glorified among us. And we ask this in his name. Amen.